Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what a beautiful day you've given us, God. Every day is beautiful and a blessing from you, but especially the days that are nice and sunny and um, spring is uh, spring has sprung. And just thank you for the signs of new life, God. And God, um, just a reminder of of your new life that you work through uh, into us, God. And Lord, as we get together this morning, um, I just thank you for ministering to us and meeting us here, God. I pray that you are honored with our worship and our heart for you, Lord. That you would um, you would just meet us here, God. That you would change our hearts, Lord. That you would just speak through uh, the message today. That you would open our hearts to receive your word, God. That it would be your word and. Um, and, Lord, we just thank you for your perfect word, your perfect love, God. And, Lord, on Mother's Day, I just um, I thank you for mothers, God. I know that um, that for some folks um, this can be a, a hard hard day, um, either because of um, hurts in relationship with children or hurts with relationship with their mothers, Lord. But I thank you for um, your just, you're just unfailing ability to heal those wounds, to bridge those gaps, God. And for your perfect forgiveness, Lord. Forgiveness of any hurts or wrongs that we've done to others. Forgiveness for maybe hurts and, and working in our heart to be able to forgive those who wrong us, God. And I just pray that you would just minister to us here, God. Um, that you would help us to celebrate mothers, Lord. That you would just um, help us to remember to treat them with the honor that they are deserving of, God. That um, the mothers would be blessed that they would be overflowed with your love, God, and then that would um, pour out onto their children, Lord. And um, I, know, I know there are mothers in here that minister to one another that really are great uh, resources for lifting one another up. And I pray that that kind of relationship just is uh, strengthened and that you would bless them uh, for that, Lord. And God, for the other churches in this community, I pray that you would um, just bless them, Lord. Um, where your word is being spoken and the gospel is being told, that you would just um, anoint those churches, Lord. Help this community to be changed through that word and through your teaching, God. And for this group of uh, believers here, that you would just help us to leave this place changed today, that we would have the joy, we would have your joy, we would have your love, God, and we'd have it just in a, in, in a way that we can't hide it, Lord. And, um, and that we would come away with people saying, what is, what is it about people that go to Celebration Center? And that we would be able to talk about um, the hope that we have in you, Lord. So, God, just be with us today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for blessing us with mothers, God. Um, help us to uh, just learn and to follow you more completely, God. Amen. You may all be seated. Uh, it's exciting to see the big crowd here today. Thanks for coming all this morning for Mother's Day. Um, it's a uh, it's an exciting day for this church. Um, talked about it a bit last week, but uh, for those of you who may weren't, maybe weren't here last week, we've been in a process of identifying and selecting a new lead pastor. Um, and so they're here to speak today. We're very excited about that. Before I do forget about it, though, um, for mothers, we have a rose and a uh, candy bar for you after the service. So, um, so I guess 
we usually get like little Godiva chocolates, but we kind of went with quantity versus quality this year is what I understand. So I think there's a bunch of like Twix bars and Mars bars and stuff like that. So still good, though, you know, any port in the storm, I guess. But um, so please uh, go ahead and uh, once we're dismissed here, we'll uh, we'll have some time to gather those. And um, I guess the schedule today is a little bit of a different schedule, as you probably have gathered. So we are going to hear from the candidate today. And then after that, we're going to have about a 10-minute time period where we're going to have the older children come, have the parents go get the older children, come back down. And then following that about 10-minute time period, we'll then have a question and answer period where we can get to know uh, the candidate and just his um, family a little bit more and kind of just hear hear from him a bit more. So that'll be a half hour. And then hopefully you'll get out of here in time to make lunch reservations and all those other things. And then so after that, on the 17th at 6 p.m., we will have, um, so next Sunday at 6 p.m., we'll have a meeting here where we will vote and um, ratify the candidate. So hopefully we can, you all can make it back for that as well. Um, maybe I'll, I'll get the elders to, to come up here. Uh, so John, Mike, Tom, Dave, Dave there he is. Um, I just want to bring up all this, these guys. These are the... Um, the men that uh, have, you know, for better or worse, put me up in front of here weekly. And um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I just am really glad for these men um, and just the wisdom and, um, God, and diligence, I guess, for these guys. You know, we've been um, going through this process since uh, December last year. We've very diligently... Um, Went through resumes, cover letters, reference checks, phone interviews, in-person interviews, and um, some kind of ebbs and flow in the process. But uh, really, we've been seeking God's heart. We've fasted. We've prayed. Church here has met most Sunday nights to worship God or to for a night of prayer to seek his will, will in this. And we just thank you for that. And you partnership and prayer even outside of those Sunday nights because um, we're really excited to be at this point. We're excited to uh, introduce our candidate, um, Pastor Mike Allison, who is here to speak with us today. He's from the Springfield, uh, uh, Oregon area. I was going to say Portland. Um, maybe a different outfit, a different crowd. I don't know. Uh, but my, Mike's here to uh, help minister. He's a he's an associate pastor down there at a uh, at Waypoint Church, and um, we're really excited to hear his message today. We're really excited to um, be able to have him here to speak to you guys. And so with that, Mike, please uh, come on up, and we're just uh, glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Come in. Leslie, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Marshall, thanks for your work. Appreciate it. Whew. You may not be aware, but these gentlemen have worked so hard and given up many an additional Tuesday night, and on top of that, more and more and more time, uh, because they love you, they love the Lord, they love what the Lord is doing in this community, and uh, they've been real gracious with me and my family. My wife, Christine's here in the front row, my uh, princess over there, thank you. I've already broke the second thing that I can break today, so we're going to just have some fun with that. I know. Awesome. So we're just going to have that kind of day this morning. It's been funny. Uh, last night at about 10 o'clock at night at the hotel, 
my daughter, uh, she was coming in, they were swimming, uh, and uh, I was in the lobby just uh, praying and studying, and she had her hand on the elevator door as the elevator opened, and it just slid along on the front of the door, and it got wedged right into there. And my poor wife, she's got a swimsuit top on, shorts on. She's holding my, my child like she looks lifeless. She's running around the corner just sobbing, looking for me because of the panic of that moment. And so we've had just a fun adventure getting out here. And uh, every, she was fine. There was actually, believe it or not, here's how good the Lord is. There, it's 10 o'clock at night. We're in a lobby of a hotel, and there's a registered ER nurse who deals in pediatrics in the lobby who comes over and says, can I help you guys? <laughs> We're like, yes. And so uh, she was totally fine. It was just scary. But uh, those are the funny things that happened. <clears throat> Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. And, uh, and so we are so excited to be here. We got to get a few things out of the way. Um, I am originally from California in the Bay Area. So I am Pac-12 friendly. Uh, despite, despite 12 years uh, total between college and a church plant being in the Eugene Springfield area, I am not a Duck fan. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm duck friendly, but I am not a duck fan. Uh, and so, and so, uh, so I just want to get a couple things out of the way. Can we all agree we don't like Stanford very much? All right. I'm a Cal Bears fan uh, growing up in, in that area. And so already we can have some things in common. We all like Russell Wilson, right? All right. Okay. I, I, I won't say growing up in the Bay, you got to remember the Raiders were in LA when I was growing up. So I was born and raised as a 49er fan. And so I know, let's, let's get it out of the way. Just ooze all the hate and just squeeze it out of there. Squeeze it out of there. We'll get it out, we'll get it out of the system right now. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's amazing to be here with you and to be on this journey. I'm so excited that it's Mother's Day today. I just think the Lord just knows uh, what he's doing. And I, I have the best mom in the world, so many of you are uh, high contenders for second place. Uh, but you are phenomenal, I'm sure. Everyone's like, wait, is that a compliment? No. <laughs> I do have the greatest mom in the world. I was raised uh, for a season by a single mom uh, and then had a stepdad in the picture. And now I'm married to the best mom, uh, even Ty. Uh, for <laughs> Big out of that. Uh, even tie, and uh, we're blessed. We have three children, eight, four, and three. And so uh, my daughter's the three-year-old who has been full of adventures on this uh, particular trip. And so I'm excited. I love moms. I think uh, today what we talk about, I hope, will be a point of encouragement. I'm reminded about the kind of love that a mom has that carries through even sometimes the toughest circumstances. Did any of you have a praying mom or grandma that you look back at and think, man, I put them through some tough circumstances, and thank God I had a praying mom? Okay, good. <laughs> well, this morning I want to talk with you for a little while uh, from this idea that we can have faith in every circumstance. And I was thinking, uh, I was sitting in the hotel lobby before uh, everything got exciting last night, and I was just thinking about what an unusual circumstance this is that I find myself in, that you find yourself in. Uh, this amazing church uh, led by a fantastic pastoral staff and team for so long, for the first time in a transition. And uh, this is the first time I've done this and stood in front and said, you know, I think the Lord's doing something here and, uh, and made a transition like this also. So we're, can we all just kind of feel that it's a little bit tense and awkward for everything, but we're also really, really excited. And this is an unusual circumstance. And it's okay that this is an unusual circumstance because we can and should have faith even when our circumstances don't always meet our expectations. 
And so uh, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about that in the context of moms. I was thinking about my mom uh, and some of the stuff I put her through and just thinking about my brother and my family and some of the just, you know, when, when all of the expectations don't seem to be met, that there's still this ability to have tremendous faith that not only is God faithful, but that his promises do come true. And so I was thinking about how sometimes we find ourselves in really, really amazing situations, like things are going well, things are just like, we're in that moment where we would just say, yeah, God, awesome, things have finally come together, and we can go so quickly from those moments to the catastrophic lows of life, and in those big time shifts, it can be really challenging in those moments to say, God, what are you doing? What's going on here? Did I, I thought I had this figured out. I was thinking about how we tend to be poor interpreters of our circumstances in the moment. Let me give you an example. You, you'll connect with this. For some of you, maybe it's Mother's Day and you got dragged kicking and screaming to church. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, it's my first time too, so, so welcome. We can all kind of feel it together. And uh, some of you, maybe it's been a little while since, since you've had a chance to kind of come. And, and maybe one of the reasons that you haven't been for a while is because something like what I'm about to say and describe occurred in your life. You were cruising along, and somehow you had believed that maybe you had figured out the system for making this faith thing work. You'd figured out, all right, as long as I don't miss more than once a month on a Sunday, um, you know, I, I, I throw maybe a little something in the plate every once in a while when it goes by. And, you know, if they ask me, I'll, you know, I'll greet or I'll do something like that. But I'm not going to, you know, you had a system going on and your life seemed to be going pretty smooth while that system was going on. And then nothing changed in your system, but then everything, the wheels seemed to come off in your life. And, and there was a moment, a checkpoint in your faith where you said, it seems like this isn't working the way I expected it to work. God, I'm doing the piece, or I think I'm doing the piece that I should be doing. Where is the uh, follow-through on what I expect from your side of the equation? I got quiet in here, so maybe I touched on a couple, a couple of circumstances there. That's okay. We're in it together, guys. And so here's how I know, though, that we are often bad judges of our own circumstances. Here's how I know, because I can think back, and I bet you can think back to a time in your life, maybe just a few years ago, that if you were to look back at that time, you'd say, you know what? In the moment, that was one of the roughest times of my life. A relationship exploded, a health issue that was never expected. We suffered a tremendous loss. Our work situation didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. I never, I, I got laid off. I didn't know what I was going to happen. And in the moment, if we could go back in time, three, four, five years ago to that moment and interview you, you would say, what in the world is God doing in this circumstance? But if we were to ask you today to look back at that same circumstance, you'd say, you know what? I didn't know it at the time, but thank God. I went through, and, and in the middle of that, it may not have been something I wanted to have happen, but it changed me. It grew me. It brought our family together. It opened doors that I had never, I would never have had the courage to step out and do this other thing. You see, we're not always great at interpreting our circumstances in the moment. We don't have that thousand foot view in the moment. And so we can, from time to time, when circumstances don't seem to meet our expectations, it could really be a challenge to our faith. And so today I want to just talk for a little while about how do we get through circumstances that maybe we don't expect, that maybe we're not mentally, emotionally prepared for, with our faith still intact. 
So in order to do that, we have to have a working definition of faith this morning that we can work with. And so if I were to go to the scriptures and, uh, and in Hebrews chapter 11 talk about faith, and, and you don't have to turn there with me. I'll, I'll turn you in just a moment to 1 Kings 19. If you're, if you're a Bible person you're waiting for me to get there, 1 Kings 19, we're going to land there in just a moment. Um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, the author of Hebrews says uh, in the beginning that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that's amazing, but not necessarily helpful when we're in circumstances that we aren't sure how to process the data of what's happening right now. We're looking at a family member, and come on, some of the praying moms that are in here right now are thinking about a family member as I'm talking about this, thinking there are some circumstances going on, and I know I'm trying to have faith, but, but Pastor Mike, you're saying to have faith in a circumstance that just doesn't look like there's any life or hope in there. And how do I do that? And the scriptures tell us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How does that work? And then further in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the author says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so not having faith is not an option, but having faith in difficult circumstances doesn't always seem to make sense. And for some of us, when that faith and circumstance things collide, we end up just saying, you know, I'm just going to withdraw. I'm going to take a little step back. I'm going to ride this out, and, and I'm not going to lead with my faith. I'm not going uh, to put myself out there. And God, if you want to turn this thing around, I know you can. I just don't know why you don't. And we stay in those situations, and all, all of the emotion of that hits. And, uh, and I thank God I had a praying mom who, who, who put up with some tough circumstances with me and hung in there with me. But it can be challenging when those circumstances don't seem to meet our expectations. You know, I was thinking about when uh, uh, I could give you, I thought about just giving you like a ton of life story today, and we're going to have time to walk through some of those things. But, but in the most recent journey of my life in ministry, my wife and I planted a, a church. Uh, we came as the executive pastors as part of a team uh, to plant a church in Springfield, Oregon. It was about seven years ago. And uh, seven years ago, it puts a smack in the middle of 2008, and one of the most difficult uh, financial errors uh, uh, and seasons that have ever existed. And we had a house in Spokane, Washington that we needed to sell. And then we wanted to get into a place in Springfield, Oregon, get jobs, become part of the community and eventually plant a church. And in faith, that seemed like a really good idea, regardless of the season, regardless of the time, because we knew that the Lord was stirring something in our hearts to do it. And uh, there was this idea that it had moved from a place of a good idea to a place of vision. And we wanted to ex- execute this vision that God had put in our hearts. And so we put our house on the market in, in the end of the summer of 2008 when every house was not selling. And, and we just believed in faith that it would happen. And our house sold so quickly. And we thought, God, you're so faithful. You're awesome. And we packed up all of our things and a snowstorm hit because it was Spokane. And it, and it snowed like crazy. Like it snowed us in so bad that we had to abandon our belongings in the backyard because we couldn't find them. Like they were just gone. There was like four or five feet of snow just dumped on us. And, and we were loading our truck and the, and the ball thing that tows your, your thing, it was frozen. We had to get through the torch and, and heat it up so that we could tow our car. It was just crazy weather, right? And, uh, and it's two days before we're supposed to move. And I get a phone call from the place that we're supposed to move to, and they tell us we don't have the place to stay for you anymore. Two days. Oh, it's Christmas. Uh, it's, 20, it's the 26th. It's the day after Christmas, and, and we're moving on the 28th. And uh, so it's Christmas. 
I got my young family, and we believe we're supposed to go somewhere. So I get on the phone, and I'm like, I need help, and I'm calling every resource and friend I have. And, and I have a friend who has a neighbor who works for the park and rec system, and he says, listen, you don't want to live in this house, but if you have nowhere else to go, the, <laughs> the, every, every great move that inspires your wife that we're on a great adventure for the Lord begins with a conversation like that, right? You don't want to do this, but if you have no other option, and we're like, okay, and we ended up moving. We moved from this home that the Lord had provided beautifully in, in Spokane to this place that it was built in 1856. So if you ever played the Oregon Trail game when you were growing up, you know, the little, the little dot game, and, and you shot the buffalo, and you forded the river, and you didn't die of, like, typhoid fever, that family built this house that the game was built, made off of that we moved into. There was like no foundation. There was just rocks and the house sitting on top of rocks. And we got in there and I won't talk about the snakes or the mice and rats or bats or I mean, it was just a it was such a paradigm shift. And we felt like frontiersmen. And I was like, wow, I, you know, this must be what it was really like. And we might get one of those diseases that I thought were extinct. And uh, so we move and our expectations aren't met early on. But we're like, we're troopers, God, this is going to work. And uh, and then for 10 months, I was unemployed unable to find a job in this community that I believe God had called us to to do something. And I can just remember that my circumstances and my faith weren't matching up. And I can remember pleading with God, just saying, God, what are you doing? Here I am trying to be faithful to what you've called me to be, and you're not doing your part. Right? Am I the only one that talks to God that, that honestly? I might be the only one. No, you guys don't want to don't admit to that. It's okay. But I'm pleading with God, and I can remember I'm sitting at a uh, Starbucks because in the pl- there's no wiring for Internet or anything like that, and I can't even apply for jobs. I'm sitting at Starbucks trying to get, uh, trying to get Wi-Fi, and, and I can remember I'm, I'm, I'm not a big crier, but I'm just like emotionally just feeling this weight of you failed your family. I'm just feel, you know, I'm just like, oh, what's going on here? And I, and I can just remember thinking, it was like 10 months ago that I was thinking the God of the universe can sell a house in any climate and we can survive. And now the doors are closed. What is, what is changing my circumstances? But I'll tell you what, if I were to look back at that time, and I remember in the moment saying, God, if you're trying to teach me something, make me smarter so I can learn it faster. <laughs> Right? If there's like a master plan here that I'm just somehow missing, can you just like supernaturally increase my intelligence and my perception? Give me, a, you know, some wisdom, whatever it is that I'm missing so that this will work, uh, so that I can figure out how to work the situation that you put me in. But if I look back at those times and I think about what it did for my wife and I, bringing us not only together but in faith to our knees, into a place of dependency, into a place of saying, God, this absolutely cannot work if you won't open doors. You know what I ended up doing? It drove me to a place where I took a job that if you had 10 months before said this was the job you're going to take, I'd have laughed in your face and said, that's just beneath me. But that 10 months in, there was nothing. I'm like, I will flip burgers. I will do whatever it takes. I have a family to support and a mission from God. It humbled me. It broke me and it prepared me for the season of what God was doing. You see, in the moment of the circumstance, we're not always great at evaluating what's going on. And time to time, we go from high, high moments to deep, deep valleys. And is our faith connected to our circumstances? Should it be? Hmm. So 
I want to take you into the Word of God this morning, and it is one of my favorite stories. It's one of the first things that I ever preached anywhere uh, because it's been just one of the stories that has been in my heart and in my life since the Lord's kind of said, you know, there, there, there's something here that you should do. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'm going to back up just a moment. And, and listen, I'm okay if your Bible's on your phone. I won't be nervous that you're texting. If you are texting, just text somebody, hey, I'm in church. You should have been here. And... Uh, and then we're even, it's cool, if, you know, if you need to post your selfie or whatever it is that you do, I just do it, it's fine by me. Uh, but, uh, so if you have a digital Bible or you got the, uh, the solid uh, leather-bound edition or you want to just follow along, I'll throw some scriptures on the screen for you. But uh, I was thinking about how cool it is that God cares about us even when we don't interpret our circumstances well. Even when we can get frustrated, even when we can feel the tension, even when, come on now, that faith, that, that, that mom-grandma faith starts to just go, I don't know why, God, this has to be so tough right now. Even when we're in those moments, God cares about us and meets us right there and strengthens our faith right in those moments. So I want to talk to you about one of my favorite guys in all the scriptures, and his name is Elijah. Uh, Elijah is one of my favorite uh, favorite people in the whole Bible. I like Elijah because, um, well, I think that he had a measure of swagger that is basically unprecedented throughout most of the rest of Scripture. And, and by swagger, I mean confidence. Uh, and so I love, if you look at, um, I believe it's chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, I think I could throw that up here on your board. This is the first sentence in the Bible about Elijah. The first time we see him, he is, we don't know his family, we don't get some family line, we don't get a genealogy, we just get Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab. Now, i got to stop right there for just a second, because just a couple verses before, we met Ahab, and Ahab had what you don't want on your tombstone. He had the title of the most wicked king that Israel had ever seen, who took basically the people of God, the farthest they ever went away from God, into the worship of Baal. He has the uh, renowned distinction of just being as bad as it gets. And so just after that, we meet Elijah. Elijah shows up. We know nothing about him except for he's a Tishbite from Tishbe. Awesome. In Gilead, we don't hear his family lineage. We don't get anything. And he walks in and he says, hey, Ahab, the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Drops the mic. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's how he walks on the scene. He walks right up to the most powerful man in the land, the king, who has brought the people of God to a place of rejecting God and pursuing other gods. And he says, I love this, like, I don't know if you've ever been in in an argument where your emotions are kind of getting up. And the thing, you, you have something in you to say that's clever and mean and whatever, but when it comes out, it just kind of comes out like blah, 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 back at you, right? It's not, it's not very eloquent. I don't know if that's what's happening here, but I love how nonspecific he is. I love how he's just like, it is not going to rain, there's not going to be dew until like, I don't know, at least a few years. <laughs> at least a few years, this is not going to work out for you, and, and that's all I have to say about that. And he throws the mic down and he walks away. And I, I got to tell you, if you haven't read this story, there is so many fun, dynamic, amazing expressions of faith 
And uh, I love, I think it's James chapter 5:17 that says, Elijah was a man just like us. And I think the reason I like Elijah is because he is so relatable. Because as a, as, a, as a man, as a human, I just connect with the emotions that he puts on display when he gets frustrated by the situations that he's facing. I love when he kind of bucks up and gets strong. And then I love how honest and vulnerable he is when he's frustrated. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I love, first of all, he shows up. And he literally drops the mic and says, it begins with one of the most powerful statements. I'm not going to let it rain. Now, they don't have refrigerators and frozen food and grocery stores. When it doesn't rain, they don't eat. Okay? Now, he has officially took the king who has turned the people to serving Baal. Now, Baal's an interesting uh, concept for a false god because he was a god of fertility, they believed, and that fertility had both sexual connotations and it had like uh, uh, crop and growth of plant uh, connotations. And so for him to say that it's not going to rain, he's basically saying, you're wasting your time convincing people to worship someone other than God because there is no benefit to you whatsoever. And so for the next couple of years, you're going to pay the price for that. So I will just paraphrase you up through the story a little bit, and then we'll pick up in chapter 19. During that time, he goes into hiding, and uh, he's tired of uh, dealing with uh, Ahab and the fact that they've been killing off prophets. He stays by a brook. The scriptures say that ravens came and fed him, which is just amazing. I don't know if you know anything about a raven. Ravens are like, they're just like, they're awful. They're just hanging around, waiting to snag. Like if you fries are on the ground, they're going to come and just nail them. You know, they're just greedy, awful, ridiculous. The scriptures call them unclean. I agree. Uh, birds. And, uh, and these birds are literally, I don't know if they're just stealing food from other places and bringing it to Elijah. Now, before this story's over, Elijah's going to run over 80 miles. So I just want you to think about the calories that he needs to consume in this story. And he's being fed by birds. And I don't know where they're plucking and stealing this food from and bringing it to him. But he's keeping his calorie count up so that he has not only the ability to run, but at different times, supernatural ability to run. And, uh, and so that happens. Uh, he hangs out with a, a widow that he encounters, and God does a supernatural food miracle there. The widow's son uh, dies, and God supernaturally raises that son from the dead. Uh, I mean, Elijah is experiencing power encounters with God that you and I would just dream of experiencing with God. That's who Elijah is. You get to chapter 18, and probably my favorite comical story in all of scripture happens and elijah finally gets fed up after about three years the lord says okay you're going to go back to ahab now and you're going to clean kind of clean this mess up you're going to clean house and so he uh he shows up and ahab's like you troublemaker of israel and he's like oh you're the troublemaker but you know let's we'll, we'll, we'll settle this on the hill they go up to mount carmel and he says i want you to bring all your prophets everyone who's turning people to the hearts of baal and Asherah, and some of the, the false gods that they're worshiping. It's a total of about 850 guys. It's 450 that were designated to Baal, but about 850 prophets on one side. And it's kind of like, you know, we just had fight night, Pacquiao and, and Mayweather, and it was like all, it was, I don't know if you're a boxing fan. I didn't watch the fight because it was six years too late, and I, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't going to feed that machine uh, with, my, with my dollars. But, uh, but, but there's an excitement that's in the air when there's a ramp up of a final conflict between two opposing sides. You can imagine the tension that's in the air. It'll bring people out of the woodworks. It'll bring people to see the show. And there's thousands of Israelites that are gathered on this mountain to see these false 
prophets of Baal battled it out with Elijah. And Elijah says, here's how the fight's going to go down. You know, he's not, he's not going to box with them. He says, we're going we're to prepare two offerings. And we're going to get everything ready and we're going to do everything, but we're going to light them up. And once we get everything else prepared, you guys talk to your gods and I'll talk to my God. And whatever God shows up by fire, that's the real God. And the people are like, yeah, that's awesome. I can imagine the prophets are like, oh, okay, and we'll do this, right? And the, the people are like, yeah, fight night, you know, here it comes. And so they're on the top of the mountain and Elijah's like, you guys go first. And I, I, I'm telling you, if you think that I am exaggerating the story, you need to get into the word and read because it is so amazing what God does in, uh, in this and how Elijah behaves. But the short version of the story is they are screaming, shouting, cutting themselves, trying to get a response from a God that is not there. And the prophets fail completely. And while they fail, as any good sports fan does, Elijah talks some amazing smack. He's like, you should maybe shout louder. Maybe, maybe your God's asleep. If you look in one translation, it says maybe he's in the bathroom and he's busy and he's waiting for him to come out. And, uh, and Elijah's just talking smack. And, 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 of course, that fails. And then Elijah comes up. And you've got to remember it's been three years of drought. And he says, throw some water on this thing. It's too easy for God. And three times they throw water on the offering. And Elijah prays and fire comes and consumes the offering. I mean, this is an epic moment. You and I have never had a drop-the-mic moment that can quite compare with what we see Elijah experience. When I talk about how we go from highs to dramatic lows, I want you to catch just how high and how amazing this moment is for Elijah. Elijah orders that they put to death with the sword all of the prophets, uh, the false prophets that have been turning the hearts of the people away from the Lord. And, uh, and it happens. And uh, then we see rain happens. He prays and it rains. I mean, seriously, can you imagine? He's just like, God, I need it to rain. And cloud appears in the sky he's so excited about that that he runs with supernatural speed uh down a mountain and he runs faster than a chariot it says at one point i mean this is an amazing thing and so that catches you up to where we're at in the story and elijah uh is is running ahead of the chariot of ahab and he's running to town and and it's raining for the first time in three years and you can imagine the hearts of the people have begun to turn back to god they're like god is really god and all this time we've wasted serving these false gods it's the highest moment and uh, he could possibly experience and it says we'll pick up in the story in chapter 19 it says now ahab told jezebel his wife everything elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword so jezebel sent a messenger to elijah saying may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow i don't make your life like one of them she says I'm going to kill you the way you just killed all my guys. Now, this is the most shocking line of the whole story. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Are you kidding me? Drop the mic, Elijah. Hey, is your God in the toilet? Elijah is now afraid because this woman, in kind of her last like gasp of defiance, says, I'm going to just kill you. He's just seen God show up in fire. He's seen God raise someone from the dead. He's seen supernatural food miracles happen. He has controlled the weather with his prayers according to the will of God. And this one thing changed his whole circumstance for him. Isn't it true that when we're walking along, we can so quickly diminish the things that God has done when the circumstances seem to just change? It's that one phone call. That puts panic in our heart. Hey, we, we, you got to come into the office early tomorrow so we can talk. And all of a sudden, everything just goes. 
And it's like we were a, a day ago, we were walking in faith and courage, believing that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. And then we hear it's the doctor and we need to come in and, and there's some tests that we need. And we just, whew, our faith just drops. Isn't it interesting how quickly that shifts? And here's Elijah in the highest moment possible, shifting, shifting. He was afraid and he ran for his life. Man, this guy was in good shape. When he comes to Beersheba in Judah, it says he left his servant there. So now he's alone. And went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Wow. He's like, God, I just, that's all I got. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the tree, and he just fell asleep. Hmm. How often do we fall into that mentality when our circumstances change? We, we forget what God has done. And we just say, God, is, I don't have anything in me. I have no more fight left. I can't do it. Here's what's amazing. I'm going to give you three keys that God gives Elijah, and then we're going to wrap it up and, and, and be done. Uh, three keys that God gives Elijah. In First Kings chapter 19, verse 5, it says, All at once an angel touched him. He's asleep, remember. He's running. And the angel says this. He says, Get up and eat. Get up and eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I can get behind any scripture that starts with, hey, get up and eat. I'm good with that. All right. He's like, you are low on calories. You've been running. Verse six, it says he looked around and by his head was a cake baked of bread over hot coals and a jar of water. God brought him room service. Are you kidding me? He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. Some of you, that's all you want for Mother's Day, right? <laughs> Just leave me alone. I want to eat, drink, and lay down again. Give me the day. It says, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate, he drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave, and he spent the night. Now, when I read this for, I don't know, the first 20 something years of my life i always thought how cool the prophet went to the mountain of god like that he finally kind of got his stuff together until i looked at a map and realized that the mountain of god is the complete wrong direction of where he's supposed to be going where he's been called to go he's literally been fed supernaturally by the lord got up and he kept running the wrong direction he wasn't going any closer he was still done he was still tapped out but i want to talk for just a moment about when we're in the middle of of those tough seasons, the first thing the Lord tells us to do is, hey, get up and eat. Get up and eat. Your faith is weak. You need to get up and eat. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, Lord, you know, supernaturally you can feed me food and that's amazing. We live and are blessed to be in a place and a time where so many of us have access to much more food than we need. So God, what are you talking about when you're telling me to get up and eat? And I started thinking about how often the scripture refers to itself, to the word of God as meat. To the word of God is milk. Time and time, the metaphor for the word of God is that it's food, that it feeds our soul, that it sustains us. You see, when Elijah was in need, there was a physical need that God met immediately. When our faith is weakened and we need to feed it, this is where we go to feed it. This is where we go to feed it. And here's what's awesome. The Lord has literally put it right by your head. Most of you sleep within three feet of a phone that has access to the word of God. 
He's put it even closer than he put it for Elijah. It's right there. You are like within arm's reach and almost all time of being able to get up and eat. And when we find ourselves in circumstances that don't seem to be matching our expectations and our faith is getting weak and our faith is starting to struggle and we're trying to put things together, the Lord would say, hey, can you just get up and eat? Get up and eat. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. It got quiet in here all of a sudden. The first thing he tells him to do is get up and eat. He keeps on running in the wrong direction. I was thinking about how our faith and our fear based on circumstances. You know, there's an old parable about, uh, you know, there's two dogs warring inside of you. And one's afraid and one's full of faith. And they're fighting it out. Which one wins? Whichever one you feed. Right? Whichever one you feed. Are you feeding your faith? Are you feeding the fear in that circumstance? Because it gets easy. Elijah starts doing the math. They've killed all your prophets, and I'm, they're coming for me next. He starts doing the math, and he starts feeding the fear of his circumstance and not his faith. And the Lord's like, hey, get up and eat. Verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him. I love this. God says, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord came from him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broke down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Ever feel like you're the only one that tried to stand up for God in the situation? You're the only one that was holding out on faith. You're the only one that was trying to do, you know, everybody else's motives weren't good, but your motives were going to be good. You were the only one. Elijah has created this circumstance where he's like, I'm the only one that's trying to do the right thing, and now they're coming for me too, and that's it. Remember, we're just like a chapter ago, fire was coming down, and he was like, nah, 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 like that same guy. He's just shifted to this place. I'm the only one. Woe is me. And I love that the Lord says, hey, what are you doing here? Verse 11, then he says, hey, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Hold it right there. The second thing he tells him to do, he asks him, what are you doing here? Because Elijah has retreated into a place where he can't feed his faith. He's hiding in a cave. He's shut down his access to, uh, to, to the Lord. And the Lord's like, what are you doing in here? You're the man of God. You're the person that I've called. You and I have a plan. I have a plan for you. So what are you doing in here? You need to get out and stand. And I think sometimes when our circumstances get negative, we go to Starbucks and we start feeling sorry for ourselves. We start thinking, there's no hope. What am I going to do in this situation? What did I do wrong? How did I blow it? How did I swing and miss? Woe was me. I was the only one who was willing to sell my house in 2008 and take the step of faith. And now all the resource from that is gone and there's been no employment and I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Lord is like, hey, go out and stand Get out of this situation where you've put yourself in this funk. Don't hide. Don't go internal. Come on, we can talk about depression. Don't go internal. Don't go inside yourself. Don't go away from me. Get out. Go out and stand. He says, you got to get out. Some of us, in those circumstances, we just withdrew. And the Lord's saying, you've got to go out and stand. I better move quickly. Verse 11 says, then, then a great, this is, this is going to get exciting here. Just I don't know if you get excited about the word of God, but I get excited about the word of God. It says, then a great and powerful wind 
tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Now I want to think about that for just a second. Because wind is a great metaphor for God. Right? We know that the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind, that God could be in the wind, like the wind blows where it pleases. Wind is a great metaphor for God. God being in the wind would be amazing. And it is clear that God caused the wind. It wasn't a random wind. There wasn't a like, tornado that had nothing to do with God. But Elijah walks out, and he sees the kind of wind that literally tears the mountainside apart. And the Lord's not in the wind. It says, after the wind, there was an earthquake. Now, I'm a Bay Area kid. I've experienced some earthquakes. There is something that becomes immediately aware when there's an earthquake in our minds and hearts. Like, you know that, that, that whole visual of he's got the whole world in his hands, right? And the Lord's just holding us together by his grace and mercy. There is something like panic ensues. Imagine being in a cave, in a mountain, and the mountain starts to shake. There's not like, you know, earthquake-proof stuff in here. He's in a cave in a mountain. And the earth shakes, and it says, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And it says, after the earthquake came a fire. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to make fire in the wilderness without the proper tools. But a fire in the wilderness without the proper tools is pretty impressive. That's an impressive thing. Like, I've tried and failed miserably. I have city boy hands. I can't pull it off. I need a lighter, okay? And then it says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. And I was thinking about this idea that God came in a gentle whisper. It says, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. I want to stop right there for just a second. I was thinking about, God, you could have showed up in the wind, but Elijah had seen power displays. You've seen power displays. You've seen God show up. You've been in those moments where you thought, how is this going to work? And then God's shown up. And you thought, oh, that was awesome. But yet your circumstance changes. And you know what? A power display isn't the answer. He could have been in the earthquake, but you already know he's got control of the whole earth. He just didn't make it work the way you wanted it to work. He could have been in the fire. The fire already consumed the sacrifice before. He could have shown up and said, I can make something from nothing. But Elijah didn't need to know that. He already knew that truth. But think for just a moment about a whisper, because I was thinking about this. What did God communicate when he whispered? See, if I want to whisper, this is my wife, so it's not weird if I go do this. And I come over to her, and I want to whisper. I say, honey, I want you to know. I just want you to know how much I love you, how amazing you are. I can't love you that small of a world. What do I have to do to whisper to her? I have to come close. You see, in the moments when our circumstances don't seem to meet our expectations, what the Lord knew that Elijah needed more than a demonstration of power, more than just a demonstration of faith, well, he'd seen all those things. He needed to know that the Lord was still close. You need to know that the Lord is still close. You need to know in your situation, in your circumstance, in the valley that you're walking through, in the thing that you're waiting for, 
yes, it'd be nice if it happened in the timing that we would like to see things happen in. Yes, it'd be nice if, if sometimes a power display would happen. And God can and will do things in power displays. But more importantly than that, it is so important to know that God is close, that He's near, that He loves you, that He's faithful. I was thinking about this song as we were singing it. Uh, 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 and, and I don't know if you know the origin of this song, How He Loves Us, but it was written by John... Mark McMillan, Michael McMillan, I'm going to blow his name right now. And, and he wrote it when one of his friends died suddenly in a car accident. And he was broken. And he, and, and he was just before the Lord saying, I can't understand this circumstance, but here's what I know. You love more than I could ever imagine. And you're close. And you're near. And you're faithful in every circumstance. You know? I feel like it's no accident that it's Mother's Day today. And, and I'm just sensitive to the fact that there's probably some moms in the room today that have just been praying and waiting through some tough circumstances. And you need to know the Lord is close. I'm also not unsensitive to the fact that some of you probably wouldn't have gotten yourself drug in here today if it wasn't Mother's Day. And, and, and mom drugged you and you came and good on you and you need to call her more often and you need to give her more time and attention. She deserves it. That woman took care of you and you need to follow up with her and, and be kind and loving to her. And in and, and your circumstance, your, what you understood as faith didn't seem to meet your circumstance. And because of that, you kind of kept the Lord about right here. He said, I'm, o- I'm okay with that being a thing, but it just hasn't been true in my experience in my life. And you need to hear that the Lord is near. Now, here's something that's amazing. In... in in the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord doesn't have to pass any longer by the front of the cave for us to experience Him. The, the Scripture tells us that when we ask and invite Jesus into our hearts, that the Spirit will come and live in us and with us and cohabitate. We're cohabitants with the Spirit of the Lord. He could not be closer. Did you hear that? He couldn't get closer. And so we're, we're, we're going to close in just a moment, but I, I want to... I just want to encourage you. I, I just, I know that our circumstances, the circumstances in the life of this church have changed and been weird. My circumstances is changing and, and been weird. And I know one thing to be true. Here's, I gave us a working definition of faith, right? Faith is simply that God, that we believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he promised to do. That's what a working definition of faith looks like doesn't say I have all the pieces together. doesn't say I understand every moment. But when I pull that from the scripture, this, this simple truth that I make a decision that in every circumstance, I'm going to go ahead and believe that God is who he says he is. And he'll do what he promised to do. And because of that, the author of Hebrews says, hope becomes an anchor for our soul. It becomes an anchor. And, and here's the beautiful thing about an anchor, and I, I know I'm probably, and there's no clock in here, so I'm, I'm sorry for your Mother's Day brunch, and no one waved at me, so Isaac was nice to me. But, but uh, <laughs> there we go. The, but what does an anchor do, right? Why does someone drop an anchor? They drop an anchor so that they don't drift too far away. It doesn't mean the circumstances of life don't happen. It doesn't mean that things don't change, that we don't feel pain. It just means that even though I feel pain, even though I get emotional, even though I get depressed, I'll only get but so depressed because I'm anchored to the promises of God. I'll get up and I'll feed myself. I'll go out of this situation. I won't stay there. And I'll listen for the closeness and the nearness of God in every circumstance. That's what hope does. That's what faith does. That's how we overcome these kinds of circumstances. 
that's how we move forward. Even though we're not sure what God's possibly doing, we're sure about who he is and what he's promised. That's what we hold on to. Would you stand with me? And, and, and Ryan, I know I didn't say that I was going to put you to work singing again, but can you take us through the chorus of the song one more time and then I'll pray and we'll close. And he loves moment and so aware of our incredible need for your presence. I think about, God, even those of us who have been journeying with you for a long time, walking through the different circumstances, Elijah was as close as it gets, and it just took one moment for his circumstance to to challenge his heart and his faith. I pray that in those moments we would be close to you. I pray for the things we've been waiting. I think about Joseph, 15 years of silence before you elevated him to the position you needed him to be in, God. I think of, God, even even just in our lives, the, the things we've been waiting, the promises we've been waiting on. I pray that, God, in the in-between circumstances, in those circumstances, God, you would not just be present with demonstrations of power, though, if you wish to, you can, and we would love to see it, God. But, Lord, ultimately, you would be close. I pray that that still small voice would speak to our hearts, would speak truth. I pray that we would hear what you told Elijah to get up and eat, that we'd get into your word and into those promises. It's like someone leaving something for us in their will, and we don't read the will, so we don't get the benefit of the will. So God, I pray that we would get into the word of God, so we would receive the promises of God that you stated. We don't want to miss them. I pray that we'd go out and stand that we'd get out of the situations, we'd get out of the funk, we'd get out of the cave that we built for ourselves, and we'd go out and stand. And, and Lord, the last thing you told Elijah was to go back to work. And you said, go back the way you came and finish what I have for you. And I pray that we would go back to work, accomplishing what you called us to do, being, Lord God, your witnesses here in this community, in our homes, making a difference simply by loving people the way you love them. 
We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Okay. Go ahead and find your seats. Um, we're going to start up, not because we're trying to rush the process, but we want to respect the fact that it's Mother's Day, and we know that a lot of you probably have plans for the day that you want to get uh, going uh, on. We're going to try and keep this to 30 minutes. Uh, this um, is a, a question and answer time that is focused on you getting to hear a little bit more from Mike and Christine, meet their kids, get to know them a little bit. This is not intended to be an interview process. Um, so we've already grilled them uh, mercilessly. And, uh, uh, but please, if you have questions, uh, there'll be time along the way. We've got a few planned questions that we'll ask to get us started. And then uh, we'll give opportunity at various points along the way for you to ask your questions. We are recording this, so if you have family or friends who weren't able to be here today, not only will they be able to hear Pastor Mike's message, but they'll be able to hear this Q&A. So if you ask a question, I will repeat it through the mic so it gets recorded and, and uh, they'll know what that question is. Huh. So that's the plan, um, and I'm going to let Brenda start us off with the first question. Okay. Um. This is mostly for Christine, I guess, at this point. Let's ask you. Um, tell us about your family, uh, how long you guys have been married, and then introduce us to your kids, if you would, please. Hello. I'm Christine. This is my husband, Mike. No. Um, I'm not as much of a public speaker as he is, and I get a little tongue twisted very easily, so I apologize in advance. Um, we have been married for 17 years. We got married young, 19 and 20. I was 20. Um, I like him. I used to like to be older than him, but nowadays it's not so much. Um, let's see. So we've been married 17 years, but we've been together for a little over 20 because we got together and in junior high. So we are like junior high sweethearts. I know it's disgusting. Um, I don't suggest that to our youth anymore. So don't worry. Uh, we have three amazing kids. I have Brayden. He's eight years old, and he's in third grade. And Mason. He's four. He's our little shy guy. And Mia, Amelia, you want to say hi? Stand up. Say hi. Look around. Say hi behind you. So she's three. And uh, she's our little adventure when she got her hand stuck in the door. Um, so... Thank you. Um, Mike, could you just share with us a little bit about your heart for ministry and what motivates you the most in ministry? Yeah, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, my heart for ministry, I guess it just comes down to people. I think uh, uh, the Lord uh, very clearly, I think, at a very early age uh, intercepted me. My life was on a course that wasn't going to go in a, in a great direction. And he intercepted me, interacted, and helped me understand that no matter what my family of origin was, I was part of an amazing, incredible family of God. And that hope changed my life. And when that hope changed my life, uh, it wasn't too long before I was excited to let other people know that that hope could also change their lives. And so if you strip me away to my core, 
uh, I'm a kid who didn't know who his father was until God showed up and said, I'm your father, and who is excited to let every other uh, kid uh, in their soul know that no matter what their family of origin, whatever their circumstances is, there's a father in heaven who loves them, who chose them. They're not an accident. It's not a mistake where you're at and who you are. Uh, and that's the message of my life. We have a question. One of you want to Chris? Sean Brooks, the name is familiar. Give me context. The question was, do you know Sean Brooks? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Do, do, who's Sean Brooks? Okay. <laughs> okay, that was left field. <laughs> yeah. oh. So Jeff's question is, do you own a home in Springfield? Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, amazingly, after about five years of living in what we lovingly recurred, re- referred to as the shack, uh, the Lord provided, um, and we were able to purchase a home. And so we will be going through the adventure of selling a home again and uh, letting the Lord uh, cause all those things to, to work together for his glory. <laughs> Harold? So the question is, what do you like and not like about Umbrella Country? Well, you know what's funny is um, I'm a big Superman fan. I'm we a don't use umbrellas. A, this is yeah. <laughs> uh, um, embracing my, my inner geek, I always feel like I get charged from the yellow sun, so I need to visit the sun if it doesn't visit me at least uh, a couple times a year. But uh, for a long time, I've been in Eugene and in Springfield and experienced uh, – that weather and you know what I like I like that it forces us to huddle together close (laughs) so that we can spend time and do life together we got to get inside of each other's homes and do life together and uh, spend time with one another and that's what I really like what I don't like is we can also become isolated because we don't want to go out and do anything and we want to park in our garage and not even wave at our neighbors so that we don't get wet and so uh, we have to be very intentional about making sure that we get to know one another in our community So yeah. Roger's question is, why do you want to come to Puyallup? Well, that's an amazing question, and I think there's a long answer. Uh, the short answer is I think we're just responding to the will and the word of God. And uh, I remember I was in Bible college. I was a Northern Cal kid, and it was pre-the Internet being as big a deal as it is. And I was given an opportunity to go and do an internship in Spokane, and I had never heard of Spokane. And uh, I'm just admitting that, you know, there was no reason for me to know that Spokane existed. There was no pro teams there, so why would I know? And I sat down with one of my Bible college professors, and I said, hey, I have this great opportunity to work for free for a year. Uh, should, I, should I go and do it? But it's a place I, I don't know and I'm not familiar with. And he looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, Allison, you bloom where you're planted. How far would the gospel have gone if everyone only went to places they knew? And I thought, wow, that's so, that's so true. And it's been in my heart and in my life to just respond to God and be wherever he's called me to be. With that said, we've made several trips here to get to know the town uh, as we believe that God was speaking to our hearts. And we drove through the neighborhoods and parked in front of schools and prayed and said, went to the mall. We sat in the mall for almost a whole day, uh, the South Mall. I don't know if that's a good depiction of Fialup or not, if you, want, if you want that to be the picture that we had. And we just kind of... We just kind of breathed it in and said, God, would you give us a love for these people in this place and believe that God is doing that? Christine, how, how do you view your calling to ministry? 
first and foremost, I might call, we talk about this often, is to support my husband, to support uh, the call that he has in his life, to be an encourager, to be an armor bearer, um, to really support him and, uh, and understand the ministry life. And because um, that is a class to bear in itself. I mean, um, and I, but I, I mean, we do, I do fine. I love it. I love it. I love the adventure. <laughs> I say that hesitantly. I, I do. I love the adventure. Um, um, in the church, I love so many different aspects of the church. Um, right now, I really am focusing on um, the women of the church. So that's every, I mean, I love young moms, and I got to a chance to meet quite a few on the playground this morning, and that was awesome. Um, but I love to be that encourager and an inspirer and just a support person that just, you know, that you can call on me and I'll pray for you. I will encourage you. I will support you in any way that I can. And um, I just love that women have so much influence and so much heart at the same time. And so we, we hold a lot more cards than we know. And I want to bring that out of women and to let them know, you know, just how important we are in the life of our family, in the life of our church, in the life of our community. So, um, I love hospitality. Um, right now I, I run our hospitality group and we uh, have, I run greeters, I run our coffee, I run our um, follow-up ministry if we do the contact cards. Um, we have a, a intro group to our, our church, you know, if you just are a new believer, um, run a group of team, a team of um, people, and so I love all those aspects. I love, I work in the kids' ministry. Um, I actually like to be in the, the baby group, like the, I love to yeah. cradle the babies because I'm not going to have any more, <laughs> so it's my therapy. They they actually have kicked me out. They moved me up to the next class because they need more helpers in that class. And I said, no, I need them. I wasn't helping you out. You're helping me out. And so we'll see how that works for now. But um, so, yeah. Yeah. Mike, can you tell us uh, what your priorities would be in the first six months here at Celebration Center? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things I learned from just some mentors in life that our presence here is change, and uh, it is just being here, that's change. And so there is no uh, sense of urgency in me to say, hey, we've got we've to hit the ground and make some kind of change. We are change. And so us being together, us integrating our lives uh, with all of you, us getting to know each other, us beginning to understand as family uh, how we fit and uh, as the body of Christ, uh, where our fingers and toes and elbows and joints are and how those things work. I think uh, early on, the most important thing we can do is just begin to become family. And, uh, and along with that, uh, if you were to ask me what I feel my role as a lead pastor is in general, I will tell you um, always after uh, uh, the given of just hearing and honoring and obeying the word of the Lord uh, is that in this community that God's called us to, what is our mission and what are our values? And, uh, and so I have the mission here in front of me because I wanted to be sharp, but, but I don't know if all of you even know this, but uh, hopefully you do. It says uh, on your website here at Celebration Center, our, our church says we're on a mission to become disciples who passionately represent Christ in our community. That's the mission. And so my job is to make sure that everything we do here 
is pointing us towards that mission, that we're becoming disciples that passionately represent Christ in our community. And then our values is how we do it. That's what we do here. And so um, I won't read through all the values. We've got great values, but values about evangelism and worship and teaching and team and integrity and honesty and children and reproducing. And uh, those are things that should be present in what we do. Um, I said reproducing and children a lot in there. And so it sounded like, you know, that's a phenomenal way to grow a church. It's in your values. You can read them. And so so uh, so there's definitely something in the water here. I'm believing there's a lot of babies. But uh, <laughs> so, so so I would say my role in the first uh, six months, but even beyond that, is to say, are, are, is what we're doing on mission uh, based on what God's given us to do in this community? And are we doing it based on the values that we say are important to us in this community? What other questions from the audience? Casey? I'm sorry. Casey asked, what are your hobbies? What are my hobbies? Well, um, I have a few hobbies. Uh, what's funny is, you know, I, I'm living in Oregon now. I was a city boy. I didn't have my dad around a lot. And so um, I was always a jock uh, sports guy. And uh, enjoyed that, but now I kind of live among the people who camp and shoot things and and uh, and hunt and fish. And so I have been trying. Uh, this is my vernacular to add things to my man card each year because I don't want my sons to grow up thinking that their dad can't shoot or fish or hunt or do any of those kinds of things. And so uh, so I've been intentional about adding those things. So. Uh, so I love to shoot now. I never thought I would say that. Uh, someone took me out with the shotguns, and we went skeet shooting. I love to target shoot. Um, I've never hunted anything, and so uh, I've, I've not gotten there yet. Um, I believe that camping should happen in a motorhome um, <laughs> next to tennis courts. And so so I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with that. Uh, I, there's like a divisive spirit in me that says that's how camping should happen. Uh, and so I haven't got there yet. Uh, but I but I do love uh, doing things with with my kids right now. I'm coaching baseball because I was the only one responsible enough to fill out the background check uh, form, <laughs> and uh, and I'm loving uh, loving that. We've got two kids in sports, one who's probably going to want to do dance, and so uh, being a part and active in their lives doing those things is really important to me. Um, I love getting together with guys. Uh, I'm a devotional group guy. I'm a life journaler. I love uh, I love getting up in the morning and getting in the Word with guys. I love the accountability that that brings, uh, that we get together, we get in the Word, and then we share what God uh, has given us. And so I love uh, having morning coffee groups. Um, I'm a coffee guy, uh, and so that's the way to my heart. So if you uh, if you want to talk the Word of God, the 49ers or coffee, we'll we'll make it happen. <laughs> two, out, two out of three. Two out of three. There's a lot of there's a lot of access, right? <laughs> Remember, he did say he liked Russell Wilson. I'm all in on Russell. Nikki. Uh, um, do you have a vision for corporate worship? Was the question. Can you be a little more specific for me? When you say corporate worship, do you mean everything that happens on Sunday? Do you mean what's happening on the stage? So that's all-inclusive, but specifically on Sundays. I do, but here's what I think. Um, I I think that our values should determine everything we do. And so when it comes to our corporate worship, 
I will sit down, I'll sit down with the board, I'll sit down with people that are on the teams, and we'll talk about uh, what are our values, and what are the values of our community, and what speaks to and reaches our community, and what's the language of Puyallup? What does it speak? Does it speak sports? Does it speak children? Does it speak family? Does it, what, what are the things that it speaks? And, and those values should drive, uh, should drive our Sunday experience, and my, my, my heart is that we're a place where people can come and, and can hear. So we're doing exactly what we say that we are going to do. We're on a mission to become disciples who passionately represent Christ in our community. That has to be happening through our Sunday experience. Um, can, I, can I share? Uh, uh, I'll share a story about my journey, a short one, and, uh, and maybe it'll be revelatory. Maybe it'll be scary. I'm not sure. But, but uh, <clears throat> I, was, I was working uh, uh, hard as a youth pastor and happy in Spokane. And, uh, and things were happening. Uh, the Lord was doing what he needed to do. It was, it was amazing. God was faithful. And in the midst of that, this is funny, but uh, transition, I, I had a gal who was cutting my hair. And, and I don't know if, if I had more hair back then, but pre, pre-kids. And, uh, and uh, if you, when you find someone who cuts your hair well, like, there's like a, a bond, an emotional bond that happens with that person. And like you're wounded if you show up and they're too busy for you and you'll make appointments, right? And so Monica was the gal that was cutting my hair. And, uh, and so for you know, every couple months I would come in and see her. And I began talking to her about her kids. And I ran youth ministry. And I was like, you, you know, your kids are almost youth group age. You should, you should send them to me. I know, I know. And she hadn't been in, in church at all since she was a very little kid. And through the course of several years, her kids began coming to the youth ministry. And her son got saved. And, and, uh, and I was like, you know, pretty soon you're going to have to come on, on Sunday, Monica. You know, I, I just for years I'd been building a relationship with her. And so, long story short, on a Sunday morning, Monica came uh, after years, and I was so excited that she came. And when she came, she, uh, let me say this the, the right way, because this is probably going to be online. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she, just didn't, she just didn't present Sunday morning appropriate for the context that we were in. And, and I watched her sit down in the, in the back of the church, and she brought a Bible that was the size of this table. It was her grandma's Bible. It was one of those book, book cover, the whole book table Bibles. And she sat down, and she sat down in the back, and I could just see that she was scared to death. And, uh, and, and in that context, there was something that triggered in me that just said, what we do here needs to make sense also to her. And, uh, and that was what began the dream in me. I had never thought about planting before or leading uh, uh, beyond the student ministries before, but there was something to me that just said everything that we do, it should, it should challenge and strengthen the believer, and it should translate to my friend Monica so that she feels like safe when she comes in the door. And, uh, and that drives me. So when you ask me my vision for our, our worship celebration, it's that what you saw here, I mean, can I just take a moment and, and what an amazing worship experience and Brian and the team uh, were just phenomenal today. Thank you guys if you're still in the room. Uh, but, but we can forget, those of us who come to church a lot, that it can be a little bit like a foreign language uh, when you walk into this building if you haven't been in here very much. I can remember the first time someone asked me about the karaoke time at the start of church. Uh, because we don't even think about it, but there's words on the screen that they don't recognize. And it, it, what's the difference between that is someone just singing care because they hadn't experienced worship before. And so we should care as part of our worship experience about people who are seeking the Lord, feeling like they can be a part of our worship experience with us. And so, and so if there's something that's me that, that would come out through that question, it would be that our values uh, and the values of our community are, are present 
that, that we've, we've said this is what God's given and entrusted us to do, the voice he's given us in this community, and that people in our community, when they came, would feel safe, like this was a place that they were accepted and welcome to be. Other questions? You already had a question, oh. and, you, and you wasted it on Sean Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Go, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> so the question is, what does the transition look like, timing, and uh, is there anything we can do on our side to help prepare yeah, um, for the, the purpose of the process, I guess, to explain to you, um, we, before we accepted, or once we accepted coming to speak today and, and felt like we'd heard from the Lord that this was the next step, um, we had the, I don't know what you call it, a, 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 not an emergency, but an immediate board meeting and, and let the elders of our current church know uh, what was going on. You can know, um, excited is not the right word, but they're very happy us and there's nothing you know i don't i don't know you know it's, it's like you i want you to not be too happy but i also want you to be very happy and <laughs> but uh but they're very happy for us they were super gracious so they know what's going on um tomorrow we'll call our leadership team uh and we'll have a tuesday night leadership meeting those are everyone who's a department head uh that oversees an area of ministry and we'll let them know and then we'll let our congregation know i'm preaching next sunday you can be praying for me because um, we've got two services and i've again this is we're in we're in circumstances I'm not unfamiliar with. We're going to preach, let people know, uh, and then I got to preach again and let people know again. Uh, immediately after that, we have a short turnaround, and so I'm not sure my brain hasn't got around that, but God's in control. Um, and so once that happens, uh, then at that point everything is completely public. Uh, that that's what the Lord's doing. Well, I'm sorry, there's still the ratification's not till the evening. And so, in theory, the ratification is the final in the final step. And so, should that go according to to what we believe we're hearing from the Lord, then then at that point everything would be would be public. At that point, um, if if it were not to go through, I, I guess I would just preach again the next Sunday and be like, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I, I I don't I can that's too many things to process, but. Uh, and then as far as the move goes and timeline, um, my kids are in school, and so we're at the end of the school year right now, the end of soccer and baseball, and as a dad, it's just important to me that we finish that season well for them, and um, you know, my oldest is probably the only one that really be um, deeply having to move his group of friends and, and stuff, and so, so we believe somewhere, uh, as soon as that was public, we'd put the house on the market, and we'd start the process of trying to, uh, trying to get ready to make the move, and, and in the dream scenario, should the Lord orchestrate it somewhere between the last couple of weeks of June and the first couple of weeks of July, in that window would be amazing. Um, if it took a little bit longer than that in the process, I, I just don't know. I'll also just add to that, and as hopefully I think Tom or Gary communicated some of this to you already, uh, the regional office is willing to provide some support to help with rent so the transition can happen more quickly. Uh, so even Amazing. not dependent necessarily on their house selling right away, um, but uh, obviously a lot of details still to work through yeah. to get there. God's um, been so faithful. There's been resources that we would never have expected that God's really just shown up. It's been awesome. Other questions? Jamie? So the question is, what size is the congregation in Oregon? Yeah. Um, you know, the church plant of five years ago. 
Yeah, so we planted five years ago. We planted with five couples, only one who were natives. So four other couples moved in. I was one of the four, and I was the executive pastor, a lead pastor, um, a creative arts uh, guy, and uh, another guy that bailed out before we got started. So four that, that landed, and some and some relationship we had there. We launched. Um, we had a great relationship with the Bible College. Uh, we we're about 25 minutes from the Bible College. And so in the pre-launch phase, we had a great team of Bible College kids willing to drive 25 minutes once a month. Once it was once a week, uh, that group of Bible College kids uh, were not as easily moved 25 minutes away. And so, so we, had a, we had a wave of college kids, but, you know, um, and all church plants, I think, experience this. Uh, there, there's always a, a team that comes in and supports, and then there's a local team that becomes your family, and you build that family with people who have roots in that community. So all of that to say, we launched with, uh, I think we had 130 the first Sunday. Um, Easter, we had 701. Uh, we are averaging about four and a quarter between two services right now. Um, when, when things are kind of up on the other side, about 350 to four and a quarter. Um, when you start a church, and, and you guys know this, it takes a long time for someone someone who hasn't been going to church coming once a month is going to church, and that's awesome. And I'm high fiving that, and I'm embracing that. Uh, but it takes a it takes a while for people to make that a part of their regular routine. So numbers can push and pull all over the place, and that's a lot of kids in that mix. Uh, we average about 130 in the kids area. We love babies. You have other questions? Katie's over here. Oh. That's Katie. I have to ask this because you'll learn certainly when I'm really passionate about preschool. Sure. I have to tell you that you're building Tuesday through Thursday. How do you feel about the language of building Tuesday through Thursday? And how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, the question is about the preschool operating Tuesday through Thursday, and how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I have one of those strange personalities. I thrive in chaos and sound and noise. I am great with it. I embraced it in my home. Um, I actually get nothing done in silence. And so there will always be a worship song on, a YouTube video of somebody preaching about something over here, a book open right here, and three text messages and a conversation going on. It's just how my personality and mine works. And so I embrace that. Um, I, I'm one of those go really, really, really fast and then take a quick break, and then touch lives and be with people, and then go really, really, really fast and take a quick break. So that's kind of my personality. I love babies. I'm excited without knowing all of the details uh, uh, to do that. I'm hoping that my babies end up in there, and so it's just awesome. I have no, uh, I have no uh, fear about that. So. And the elders can attest, during the interview process, we gave them a little project to work on and make a presentation back to us. As soon as we left the room, his phone came on with music. <laughs> and he's working away on the whiteboard to music. It's how I tick. What other questions? Isaac. Great on time. The question is, in your preaching, do you do series? Do you focus on books of the Bible? Just how do you approach the, the messages on Sunday morning? Well, in my in my current um, environment, this is going to sound sick in the head, but um, 
So Jeff Farmer Jr. Jeff Farmer Jr. over here. Uh, Jeff, I, I don't have to say your whole name every time. That's how I've memorized it. Jeff. <laughs> so Jeff knows Tim Zakarian, my lead pastor, really well. And uh, Tim told me that you're the only guy as administratively gifted that he knows as he is. And so I work with an administrator right now who is probably one of the just the best administrators that, I, that you could possibly work with, who takes all my frenetic energy and channels it in a, in a direction. And it's, it's really fun to be in a team with people uh, that, that think that way. And so I say all that to say that I have a meeting May 27th of this month where we are planning all of the messages for 2016 for my current uh, environment uh, on that date. And so I may plan way out in advance, guy, and then let the Lord mess up whatever he needs to mess up. Uh, but I also believe that the Lord is present in the planning phase. I think sometimes we believe that the Lord only shows up in the moment, but uh, I think he's there when we're in the office, when we're with the team, when we're praying, when we're talking about direction and thinking. And so I love a lot of voices and input, and so I, uh, I guess my heart would be to sit down with uh, a group of people who can speak into, into me and into where the church has been and where it's going and things that would, that would speak to uh, where we're going in the next year to plan that out so that people can uh, be a part of things. So I don't know, where's my, where's my artistic people? Are there artistic people in here? Your worship, creative, drama, all of those things? Okay, so, so there's this principle that comes into play uh, when it comes to artistic folks, and, and, uh, and it's this. Uh, here's the illustration. Can you imagine if Michelangelo was asked to uh, put together the Sistine Chapel, and the Pope said, I, I would love for you to paint this, and he said, okay, I'll do it. He said, okay, but I need it by Sunday because it's going to be a really big week this week. What, what kind of product would, would happen there? Uh, the product would probably, it'd probably be amazing because he's gifted, and then he'd probably quit and never work uh, with them again because no one who is gifted wants to take their gift and be forced to, like, squish it into this in, uh, time window. So I think one of the critical things you can do as a leader is give people an opportunity and time to use their gifts. And I would love to see lots of people using their gifts, whether uh, it's artistic, dance, I don't know, if you can mix on the turntables, I mean, what is your gift? Let's, let's figure out, if you use it for Jesus, then show me how, and uh, let's figure out how to give you an opportunity to do that. That happens when you plan ahead, and you have opportunities to let people know, hey, uh, in, in four months when we are tackling Christmas, here's the theme that we want to do, and here's the music that we want to look at. Can you start diving into that? People get excited about that kind of opportunity, and so uh, I don't... Yeah, thanks for making me answer the question. Yes, I work in series, and I also walk through books of the Bible. So yes, and. <laughs> yes, and. And I'll stop. See who keeps them on track there. Mary Jane. Thank you, Francis. So the question there is a number of social issues that the church faces today, including same-sex marriages, abortion, and so forth. And given the importance of the congregation kind of knowing the views before we vote, a little bit about that. We're, we're going to make this the last question because we're kind of coming up to time. Sure. Um, yeah. Wrap it up with this one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Time's up. Yeah. No. <laughs> let me uh, let me first say the board uh, w- during the interview process we definitely talked about a lot of these things and so uh, some more than willing to di- dialogue and here, here's what I know. Um, I know that God uh, gives us two two primary principles that drive uh, our life and our faith and our journey with him by, and that's that we're loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And 
I think within that context, any anything that we address that uh, is in terms of whether it, we're talking about um, specific sins or in general any anything that's a rebellion from God, we always want to layer that through the context that we're really given two specific missions. I love I, it was said. I, I heard it expressed this way: there's about there's over 400 official rules that you can pull out of the Old Testament, but we all kind of agree there's like 10. Ten commandments that God kind of lays out for us, and then Jesus takes those ten and compresses it into two, and, and says everything that we do kind of hangs on this: that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, so that's going to drive uh, anything uh, that I that I say. But but I will say this: um, I'm not of the opinion that we should be. I think it's not the right word. Let me say this correctly. Uh, <laughs> I'm not of the opinion that we should be af- uh, afraid to deal with specifics. Um, and so we need to be honest about what the word of God says. I agree with Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 19, he affirms marriage as between a man and a woman. Um, he's clear about that. And so I'll be on the record saying I uh, agree with Jesus. And I also agree with Jesus when he spent time loving and pouring his life into people who were nothing like him. Uh, one of the things that blows my mind about Jesus is this seeming contradiction, this paradox, that the more people strove to be like him, the less they seem to like him in Scripture. The more that the more they seem to strive to be uh, faithful to things in him, they said, the less they seem like. But people who were far away from Jesus really always seemed to like him. There was this paradox that he seemed to really care for people who were far away from him, and they liked him. That tells me that there was a behavior of his heart, a loving compassion that came through him into every relationship that he was in, no matter what their sin was. And so um, I I will get into that and we'll preach about that because I think it's relevant to our times and where we're at. Uh, But I affirm marriage as the scriptures state uh, marriage should be. Um, I do believe that God has a design for sexuality that exists within the context of marriage, um, that any uh, sexuality outside of that context uh, whether we're talking about um, couples that are living together that should get married, you guys should get married. I do weddings; it's awesome. And uh, uh, that should get married, need to get need to get married. Whether we're talking about um, Job saying I made a covenant of, with my eyes uh, that I wouldn't look lustfully on a woman. Uh, whether we're talking about any of those things, I believe that uh, we should affirm what Jesus says and what God says about sexuality and about marriage. And so that's a very short version of a very long sensitive, complicated thing that I think uh, is one of the big, important journeys of our church, especially as it relates to the values of our community. I live near Eugene. I grew up uh, near San Francisco, and so I'm uh, uh, currently going to, it looks like, live near Seattle, and uh, and these are all places where these issues are, are important relational issues of our time, and we should look, not be afraid of the Word of God, but we should embrace it, and we should love the way Jesus loved and love Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, we do want to wrap this up now and um, let you all get on with your Mother's Day celebrations. But uh, before we do, can we all stand together and just close in a word of prayer? Um, so because of the notification requirements of two weeks before a business meeting, our meeting is next Sunday uh, evening, as you've heard, to do the ratification vote. So I just ask you all to just be diligently praying all this week uh, for God to reveal to you uh, and uh, make you confident about how to prepare for that ratification vote. Pray for Mike and Christine as they think about this transition. And uh, and, uh, we'll be back together next week and and, uh, solidify things where we're at.
So let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for being here today. I thank you, Lord, for the ministry of Mike as he shared with us this morning. Thank you for the word that you gave him for us. And uh, Lord, I thank you for this time of just uh, beginning to scratch the surface of getting to know them and their family. I, I pray, Father, uh, as you have been through this entire process, just covering it over, watching over us, guiding us, and directing us, Lord, we pray that in this next week, you would do the same for all of us. Guide and direct our hearts and our spirits. And Lord, we pray that you would bring about uh, the result that you desire uh, for Celebration Center and its future next Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. And Lord, today I just pray you especially bless all the moms who are here with us today or all the moms who will be touched by people who are here today. Bless their day today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you all for being here. Thank you, guys.